Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to IndieBirth's series of podcasts, Taking Back Birth. Marin here, as usual, back to the birth podcasts. Taken a couple of episodes to talk about mothering, which has been super fun. So find those if you're interested. Catching up here, let's see. Well, we're off of social media officially, probably been a couple weeks by now, and it has been just so great. Um, I could probably make a whole podcast about how my life has changed (laughs) in a positive way. And the wisdom I feel like that has come through, um, through other people, through resources, through my own solitary way of being without all the noise, that might be really valuable. So I'm actually thinking of doing kind of like a mini course at some time soon. Uh, A couple sections about this whole topic, like how do we recognize what social media is doing, offering, um, how do we know when to draw our boundaries. Um, How do we actually do that? You know, what is the research and what is the sort of cultural input out there around what these platforms are doing to people's psychology and emotional well-being? Um, And then finally, how can we create even a a minimal amount of, um, you know, business or content in the world without social media? So, This is what's been going through my head lately. I'm so grateful that it all went down the way it did. And we knew that the right path for us was to not remain there any longer um, for a billion reasons. And so if you haven't seen that blog post that I did, you could check that out. Uh, It's called Three Reasons Social Media Sucks for Women and Birth. Um, So I tried to keep that brief. I actually think there's about 20 reasons why I think it sucks. Um, but wanted to keep that short. So yeah, just really, really enjoying the freedom and the positivity and the ability to create without nonsense and ridiculousness. And frankly, just the addiction. Um, I think it was um, hugely addictive for me to be so involved, you know, and again, I won't go on and on, but I think I was living under this fake belief that I needed it, that we as Indie Birth needed it to be out there in the world. And uh, again, I think I'll go into this more in this mini course, but I think that's really a belief that I needed to drop and did drop. And um, if you're feeling similarly in any way, you know, just encouraging you to really feel into that, look into that, like, what does that mean? Uh, Because the world is so big, you know, it's so much bigger than these three stupid, simple social media platforms where really it's just a bunch of fakeness and people are just trying to one up each other. And, you know, we're, we're passing this off as connection and progress when it's not, it's not. So anyway, just sharing that has been amazing. Best decision ever. Best decision of 2019. Uh, it's almost 2020. And yeah, just um, having really great midwife experiences lately, you know, being a midwife is one of those things that feels really good a lot of the time, most of the time, honestly, right? Or I wouldn't do it, Uh, but certainly has hard times too. And so I've been having really encouraging thoughts and experiences lately. And, you know, I don't doubt it 
totally is energetically related to the departure from social media because I suddenly have more space, more time for positivity and really awesome stuff. So yeah, I've just really been enjoying being a midwife lately. It might sound silly, but, um, you know, traveling around yesterday to see a new baby and to see a mom that's due and anxiously awaiting um, some repeat clients who will be birthing super soon. And it's winter here in Sedona, which we do kind of get a real winter. So kind of driving around in the snow and, um, you know, drinking some coffee in the car and just being alone and getting to connect with these really amazing women who are so inspiring in so many ways and remind me that this is such a path, you know, and all we can do is stay true stay true, like stay true to what it is you believe and want. And there isn't anything to do. You know, it's not a business in that that sense. Like the right women walk right into this room when it's time. And I am just the most honored and the most blessed to walk beside them. So yeah, things are feeling really good. And we have an exciting month coming up really uh, with Indie Birth. We are, Margot is in Arizona. And so we have a free workshop and people are driving from many states. Uh, I probably won't even be able to fit them all in this room, so I'm not quite sure what we'll do, but we'll see. Uh, we also have an Indie Birth Midwifery School Skills Workshop coming up in January, which is a three-day, super fun, intense experience with our students that come in from all over the country. Um, again, some repeat client births. So I've recorded a couple podcasts this morning, believe it or not. I've got a lot of energy and that'll probably be it for podcast recording in January because I will be busy doing the real stuff, uh, which is another plug for not being on social media. Honestly, Um, life is too busy, you know, kids, real women here, actual things happening, um, just don't have time for all that nonsense. So I thought on that note, as one of the things I'm recording this morning, that I would just answer a couple of questions. I've never done a podcast where I just answered people's questions, but we got a bunch of good questions from our doula students. And here's a plug for our Birth Warrior Project doula program. And we're opening up enrollment now uh, and until the end of January 2020. And you can check that out by IndieBirth.org forward slash Birth Warrior Project. Everything you need to know is there. It's been amazing, fantastic Um, The students we've had are just, have blown our mind, have been so introspective and beautiful and kind and smart. And we think our content, of course, is really awesome. So we're looking forward to enrolling another group of you here in January to start February 1st. So uh, the questions have largely come from our doula program, which I think is great because they're really digging into so many aspects of what it means to walk with a woman. And, you know, doula, midwife, like, yes, they mean different things. And yes, out in the world, we're having to draw these harder lines so people understand what we're talking about. But truly, so much of what I do as a midwife is really what a doula is. Um, You know, I had a birth or went to a birth this past week. And there was nothing that happened that was truly midwifey other than keeping some good notes and, you know, having in my head kind of like what was happening or where I thought she was going in this labor or whatever. Uh, But in the end, it was just true woman to woman support. It was love. It was guidance. Um, Yeah, very little, 
you know, of course, I guess, you know, there's always assessment as a midwife. I can't, I can't not do that (laughs) in my brain, right? So how is it going? Or um, what could be happening? Or is the baby transitioning well? So obviously, you know, there are differences between midwife and doula. And I think um, I do both of those things. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that our doula students really feel close to my heart. And of course, so do our midwifery students, but there's a lot more doula students at the moment and they feel so close to my heart. And I think a lot of them will probably go on to be midwives just by the way they're thinking and acting and connecting. So I was happy to take a couple minutes this morning and answer some of their questions. And there's a lot of them here and I I haven't prepared answers or anything. So I'm going to just kind of like see what pops out and answer a few that maybe seem to go together. So these are more midwifery questions, even though these are coming from doulas. So, you know, take that for what you will. But again, just comes back to that overlap and kind of the blurred lines between these roles. So first question, um, would you recommend that I get experience where I can get it? Or should I hold out for a midwife that I have similar beliefs with? Hmm, We get this one all the time. And... I'm someone that I don't think I have the same answer (laughs) all of the time for the same question. Um, And that's actually something in my human design chart. If you're interested in yours, that's a cool thing to check out. Um, But my human design is kind of like different things come out of me at different times for different people. And so what do I think today? Um, What I think today is that you should just follow your own path and be in your own body and feel things and be connected to whatever higher power and belief system you have, if any, and just follow the path, right? So I don't think you can predetermine this answer, right? Is it you should go to X birth center and, you know, work with a midwife that you don't really resonate with just to get experience? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's where the path is leading, And if you're paying attention and you're connected and that's where the path is leading, then you should do that. And that would be great. And of course, vice versa. Uh, If you're, you're feeling like you're working on your own stuff and you're refining your own beliefs and working through your own trauma and your own issues, and then suddenly a midwife kind of pops up in your field and your community, that is totally what you've been looking for and you have the opportunity to work with her, then yes, you should go for that. So um, that's my answer for that. Um, Do you have payment plans or discounts for some families you work with? And do you do any free births per year? Um, Yes and no. Yes and no, believe it or not. Um, I do have a pretty, you know, solid structure as far as payment. And really what I think is energy exchange And I do work with people one-on-one. And so I can't explain that more than I can here, Um, which is to say when people really want what they want and this is what they want, then they find a way to do it. And if they really want this, working with me, working in this way, with this kind of experience, with this kind of commitment to their own responsibility, and, you know, actual financial cash is an issue, then we're going to find a way to work together. And that might be a reduction in fee, that might be a barter, 
Um, So I don't have it predetermined. And I think the honest way of speaking about money and birth, um, again, another podcast, but just briefly, is that, you know, as women in this work, we shouldn't shy away from money as an exchange system. That's the world. Um, There's no shame in charging for our services, whether you're a doula or a midwife. You know, there isn't. And we have to work on our own self-worth and appreciate our own value to be able to confidently say that. Uh, but yeah, then it's it's just a matter of spirit coming in. And if I know I'm supposed to work with someone, then I will. And I'll find a way to do it that feels really good. And I'll expect some kind of energy exchange because I think that's important and it doesn't have to be money. But, you know, it often is because that's the way the world works. Um, I do offer free services occasionally And yeah, per year, but you know what? It's been longer than a year and um, it was a year and a half, I guess, in between. And I just have to go with what feels right. So hopefully you get the theme there. I don't have predetermined ways of doing things most often. The families that I have offered, you know, legitimately free services for have been amazing and it has felt right and it wouldn't necessarily feel right with everyone. Um, and have been more than giving in their energetic exchange in other ways, um, more than appreciative. And honestly, you know, has just felt right for me because I'm not a martyr. I don't have a charity here, even though I love doing birth work and I do all this free stuff like these podcasts. I mean, I've done thousands of hours of free stuff and continue to. Um, but I don't feel like I need to be a free midwife. Uh, other than the rare occasion that it comes in that that is right. And truthfully, I'm very supported by my community here uh, financially and in other ways, emotionally and spiritually. So I have that privilege, you know, that gives me the, the leeway sometimes to not really care about money because I'm totally supported. So um, yeah, next question. Is it possible to have a PMA and be certified? Um, Yeah, why not? Um, I'm certified as a CPM and I have a PMA, so sure. However, you know, the idea of being licensed and having a PMA is also theoretically possible. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it is theoretically possible for the plain reason that a PMA is serving the private and a licensed professional is serving the public. So if you want to try to figure that out, (laughs) uh, if that makes sense to you, then go for it. And I know there are people out there, doctors and others, and maybe even midwives that are finding a way to make that work. But um, that's not my experience. So I can't share that with you. But certification is not being licensed. Those are two different things, two different words. And although I have lots to share at different moments about certification of midwives and what that means. Um, It's something that for me, I've decided to just keep on uh, for the last 10 years, even though I gave back a license. So being certified as a CPM doesn't mean anyone tells me what to do. So I don't really have a problem with it. And really, I just do it for myself. Um, You know, I, I might want to travel as an older midwife, um, even doing the recertification process, hasn't bothered me. I really love learning. Uh, So at this moment, I don't see a conflict of interest, but I'm very aware that it could be 
down the line. And having a PMA or a private membership association is a huge topic. I'm not really going to go into that right now, but that is a way in which we can serve the private sector and um, have the people we're working with agree to that. So um, as the midwife, how do you feel like you can be the photographer or videographer and still be paying super close attention to what's going on with the birth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I just had an experience where I was at a birth without a student or assistant, which happens, you know, either on purpose or accidentally. And this was pretty much on purpose, a request of the mom. So, you know, I love being at birth alone, frankly. I mean, yes, there are things to think about. um, and, And in textbook best practice, we should have someone there, most likely, Um, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And sometimes the mom doesn't want anyone else in the room. And so I think we also have to just keep doing our work and keep learning and get more experience because being the only person at a birth when you don't have a lot of experience is not ideal. And I wouldn't really recommend that for any of our students or, you know, younger midwives. Why not take someone that's comfortable to the mom? Um, but on top of that, yeah, if you're alone, or even if you're not, I guess, even if you have a student at a birth, um, how do you take pictures? How do you video it? So if there is a student there, then I sometimes task the student, you know, you video the birth and that has worked out great. Um, or here, here's the camera, you're responsible for the photos. Um, I can often do the photos, you know, fairly easily because I've been doing this for a while. Um, and if anything, my photography ends up sucking because the light isn't right. And, you know, you obviously are going to pay more attention to the birth than the picture you're taking. But if you can do both, then it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, it's a challenge that I've been ready for having been a midwife for, you know, 15 years, or I guess I've been in birth for 15 years. I've been on my own as a midwife for almost 11 years. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend taking pictures and being the videographer as a new midwife. Uh, No, maybe not. So get comfortable with birth. Um, Really soak in all the feelings and what you're seeing and what you're thinking. Uh, What needs to happen next? Or where is she in the process? Or what do you think the baby's doing? Like, yes, that stuff takes a lot of attention and focus. And I still do those things. But um, yeah, I feel fairly confident about also picking up a camera. And, you know, if I need to drop it for whatever reason, then I'll drop it. So this did just happen as I was about to share and then got on a other tangent. This birth was just me and the mom, which was super special. And I'm hoping to maybe get her to share her birth story on a podcast just because it really was one of the most amazing and sweetest uh, births I've ever been at. And so it was just she and I. And so I set up um, my phone as the camera kind of like, you know, set it somewhere so I didn't have to hold it. And I was so proud of myself that I (laughs) thought of that because then I had the camera in my hands and I was all ready to just take photos. And then um, as the baby was like crowning, she decided to stand up, which was super cool. And so I had to move the camera. And so I was moving the camera and still getting it on film. And then um, the baby was about to come out as she was standing. And so she asked for me to help, uh, which doesn't happen a whole lot, but you know, totally fine and perfect. And I get it like standing up is, um, 
little more difficult to receive your own baby, especially when it's your first. So I had to put the camera down. So the birth video was really funny and cute because she's amazing and this baby is coming and then the camera goes black and you could just hear it. You can just hear her having the baby and uh, all I did was, you know, allow the baby to come into my hands and then pass it through her legs. And then, you know, I helped her sit down and I quick got back to, um, filming and also taking pictures at the same time. But the baby was doing great. Mom was doing great. Um, You know, I don't ever mean to discredit all of the knowledge and stuff we should have. Like, I hope that's obvious. I mean, for heaven's sakes, we have a midwifery school. So I'm not advocating for like lazy midwifery or, you know, not thinking or learning. Like, But there's also something to be said, frankly, for pure experience and the way things feel. And I knew everything was fine. There wasn't anything to stare at. I mean, the baby was screaming. She was transitioning. The mom was smiling and happy. And really, in those moments, I just want to capture it for her. You know, I don't know that anyone else will ever see these photos or this video. Um, They were for her. So, um, yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance like anything else. But midwifery is art is art to me and I'm not a birth photographer and I would never sacrifice someone's birth for photos, obviously. And there's births where it just doesn't work out. You know, it's too dark or, um, yeah, just mom, the mom needs more from us or the baby needs breaths, right? Or whatever. Um, although even in those circumstances, uh, I've gotten some photos. So anyway, I hope that doesn't sound obnoxious. I'm not I'm not like acting like I can do it all and it all is great and fine and I'm or that I'm not paying attention. I think I just go with what feels right, as you can tell from my answers for all of these questions. Um, I love getting videos and photos, but not at the expense of anyone or anything. And it just comes with experience. So I wouldn't recommend just to repeat. I wouldn't recommend you try to do all those things and be a midwife at a birth, especially if you're new or if you're a student. And you're, you know, the only one there. Or um, as a student, if the midwife hasn't asked you specifically to like be the videographer. But my students, I think, know too. You know, they're taking the video. But if we need to help or do anything, they're going to put down the camera. It's not the priority. It's definitely not. But I'll tell you, I feel like it has, um, I don't know, just like expanded my horizons, frankly, as a midwife. And seeing through the camera is different than watching and I don't know that one is better than the other, but I don't know. It all comes back to just what's right for us as we do this work and uh, yeah, how we feel we can be of service in the best way to the mom. So I'm going to stop with that one. (laughs) Um, Let's see what else. Um, Do you wear gloves if you know you don't have to worry about any illnesses being passed to you? Um... Right. So, I mean, anything could happen, I guess. And we don't always know everybody's status on every single possible communicative disease. But I think, right, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, first, as the midwife, um, is there something you don't want to be exposed to, right? There might be. And there's very common things out there, you know, like herpes is a great example that lots of women carry um, that, yeah, we might not want to be exposed to. So fair enough. And I think it's obviously about getting good um, disclosure from the people we're working with, um, offering them testing when appropriate, trusting them, but, you know, kind of not over trusting in the sense that people don't always 
um, they're not always aware maybe if they're carrying this or that. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky topic in a sense. And if I was working at a birth center, I'd probably just wear gloves all the time, right? So many more people possibly not knowing them as well. Um, same for hospital, obviously. And it's like total hospital policy. You couldn't get away with it there and you probably wouldn't want to. So, you know, this is a very specific situation, very specific population, um, but in general, if if I know that there's nothing to be passed to me, then, um, you know, I generally don't. And sure, that can be a discussion with the mom too. Like, hey, if I end up needing to, uh, you know, whatever, catch your baby, even though I don't do that routinely. But like, if your baby needs anything from me, do you want me to wear gloves and leave it up to them? Um, I've never had anyone you know, say, yes, please wear gloves or care. And I think most of the people I work with would rather that real human skin, even if it ended up being my hands, um, would be what they would prefer for their babies. But, you know, I'm always open to people feeling differently or uh, making changes, but I'm not afraid either of You know, it might sound gross to people that aren't in our world. I mean, I think my husband even thinks it's gross. I'm not afraid of touching things um, with people I know. So uh, I'll often put on gloves for the placenta, though, just because it's like so bloody. Um, And maybe that's, you know, my own thing. But for babies coming out, no, generally not, unless someone requests it or it seems appropriate. And you know, the way things feel certainly are different without gloves too. So vaginal exams, yeah, makes sense to wear a glove. Um, But otherwise, just in preparation for a normal birth, no. And you know, if someone's birthing in water, forget it anyway. What's the point? Like the water, everything's going to get in. And that happens even with gloves on in a land birth sometimes. I mean, I can think of one a while ago, where I did want to wear gloves. And um, I ended up receiving the baby and, you know, just amniotic fluid everywhere into the gloves all over the place. So gloves are only so protective and understanding why and when and having good conversations seems like a smart idea. Uh, that might be it. I think I'm going to, let's see, um, during a long labor, if a woman's water breaks early, what kind of of possible not good signs would you be on the lookout for? So, right. Occasionally, and this doesn't happen that often, especially with really healthy individuals, um, the water's open and labor either doesn't start or, as this question communicates, maybe the labor is long. So in other words, what this person is saying is there's many hours of the waters being open. And we all know that there are rules around that and regulations around that for licensed midwives and even at a hospital. Um, and it is something to be aware of, right? So we're not just like throwing that all away and saying it doesn't matter. Uh, but, you know, are we treating this woman as an individual? And are we teaching her the signs that she should be looking for as well as observing them ourselves? I think both of those things are important. So if someone calls and they they report their waters being open, first of all, you have to take it with a grain of salt uh, because there's other fluids that can come out. Um, 
And, you know, that's not to discount anyone's intelligence, but it happens quite often where people think their waters have opened, but that's not actually what's happened. So first you would have to actually be sure that that is what has happened. And then you just wait for labor to start and you go through, um, you know, good immune support and taking a temperature and watching for signs of infection and not using public toilets and, um, you know, not putting anything up and in the body. So you are educating someone so that their chance of infection is really low. And they've done studies. I mean, I just read this last night. Uh, you know, there's a correlation between number of vaginal exams and infection. And obviously, the more exams, the more likely infection is. So if someone's not getting an exam, because why would you at that point? I mean, there's no need, most likely, then we're just going to watch and wait and be cautious, but not be crazy and not transfer care just because the clock has hit a certain number of hours. Um, that's a huge topic, I guess, you know, because in certain settings with certain midwives or birth center, they're going to want to induce labor. So, you know, then you get into all of that. Um, but yeah, uh, water's opening is not always the, you know, the sentence people think it is. At the same time, if the mom felt like something was wrong or was developing an infection, then she should probably uh, get antibiotics, you know? So it's not all or never or always. Um, they're such unique scenarios. And I worked with a woman probably, I want to say seven years ago, whose waters opened. And I have a blog post about it. And I can't remember what it's called right now. But um, her waters are open for four or five days. And she knew all of these things. We talked about them. We were checking on her and the baby twice a day. And she was just a really smart woman. I'll never forget. She said, I understand this is a risk. And I understand that like in any other setting, I would be induced. But I also know that going to the hospital and being induced and getting antibiotics is a risk. And that's actually not the one I'm choosing to take. Um, So I respected her for that. And of course, you know, had my own boundaries and such, but there was nothing wrong. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong. Her body was just for whatever reason, taking a while to figure out the labor progress thing. Um, so anyway, it was a great story Four or five days, uh, had the baby obviously at home, beautiful birth, no problems, no infection, nothing. So that doesn't mean that's what everyone should do. <laughs> that doesn't mean that sometimes really awful, bad stories don't come out of waters being open for X number of days. Um, there are tons of stories out there like that. So, you know, I don't think people listening to this podcast want to want to um, assume that I'm like making an overall statement, but birth can look lots of different ways. So in the end, are we listening? Are we really seeing? Um, are we talking with the mom, you know? Maybe there's some emotional stuff going on there. Or what does she think? Or is she afraid? Uh, Does she think an induction or the hospital would be safer for her, right? There are no right answers. So I think I'm going to quit the questions for today. Uh, This is my second podcast of the day. So I'm going to keep it here at half an hour. But I hope those um, responses were thought-provoking or I don't know, maybe they weren't. But thanks to the doula students in the Birth Warrior Project for offering those questions to us and to the universe at large. Again, check out this Birth Warrior Project. See if it's right for you. You don't have to 
be a doula yet. Uh, you don't really even have to want to go to hospital births or anything that you think a doula does. Really the heart of this program with Indie Birth is the self-reflection. Um, if you want to get into birth work, the way of figuring out what you're really great at, what you love, ultimate, ultimately how you might want to serve women. So, excuse me, we use the word doula because it's just something people understand. But our expectations are not necessarily that for the hundreds of women we've had go through this program. Um, our expectations are that you will dig deeper, get to know yourself more, and then figure out where you fit in the world of birth. So to that end, this Birth Warrior Project has been a really, really helpful tool, program, experience. It's been amazing. And again, we start February 1st and that goes through June 1st. So you have four months on the learning platform. Um, read all about it at IndieBirth.org forward slash Birth Warrior Project. It's just been so great. Uh, we have a Marco Polo group as well with our doula students, which means they get to send videos um, and they get private responses or group responses from Margo or I and their classmates. So it's been just... Um, really, really, really great. I, I don't know how else to say it. So if that is intriguing to you, check it out and enroll in our next group. Um, if not, that's great too. Be on our mailing list, indiebirth.org, just to learn about what's happening since we've left social media and have a great day.